Christian, a former church, is finding faith in something good. You just might remember earlier this month, a strong storm ripped apart that Hallmark Baptist Church. But members didn't skip a beat, leaving for a mission trip to Mexico just hours after that storm. And our Larry Collins caught up with the church as they rebuild and continue changing lives. They say there's a blessing in every storm, even one this destructive. The building, they come and go. Winds wrecked parts of Hallmark Baptist Church. But while they picked up the pieces here at home, a group of around 20 teens, college students and chaperones, headed to Mexico to help orphans pick up the pieces of their lives. They were going to hold a vacation Bible school, uh, and they were also carrying uh, 20 beds that our students were a part of building and painting. A helping, healing hand. But this is their life. Uh, they don't have beds to sleep on. They don't have parents to go home to. And so if we could be a blessing to them, uh, man, building, it's just a building. A lesson in life that even with the church building battered, their love knows no limit. It was awesome to see our kids investing in other kids who have way less than, th than they have. They say faith can move a mountain. For now, they'll settle for a faith that can build a bed. The true blessing in the storm. In Fort Worth, Larry Collins, NBC5. Staying strong in their faith and as crews continue to restore that church, this week the church welcomed 20 students from China to spend part of the summer learning about Texas, America, and the church. Awesome. Isn't God good? Hey, man. All right. So are you, are you ready for it? You guys like got the clap in too early, didn't you? That's all right. That's all right. God's good. And all the time, hey, turn me to Amos chapter number six, Amos chapter number six. Wow, it was awesome to hear these college students come up here and worship and lead us in worship uh, today. Could we give them another hand? I, I just want to say thank you uh, for them. You know, how awesome is it to watch 19, 20, 21 year olds who've given their life to Christ and feel a calling to give the rest of their life to serve Him in ministry. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, we, we spend too much time talking about uh, people who don't do the right thing. We maybe should spend some more time talking about and thanking God for students like this who are willing to travel all over and stand up here and lead us in worship of a risen Savior. Aren't you thankful for that? And so we are in our series uh, Amos and uh, Pastor Dave uh, started this off a few weeks ago. We've titled the series Not So Famous Amos. How many of you were here when we gave out all the famous Amos cookies, right? That's why you should never miss church. You never know what you're going to miss out on. Uh, I think there might maybe still some floating around. Uh, but we are going to finish that series, kind of finish it today. But I would encourage you on, on a Wednesday night this week, we're going to kind of completely wrap it up uh, in the chapel at 6.30. So if you want to hear the last part of Amos, you can do that. But we're going to conclude our Sunday morning part of it this morning. And so really the book of Amos and, and really the reason that Amos is what we termed not so famous was because uh, Amos had a message and his message was a warning. His message was a message of repentance. And remember we heard that, that Amos was like this nobody from nowhere. A nobody from nowhere that God sent, you know, this, this country farmer boy that God sent to the big city 
to preach a message of repentance and a message of warning. And, and, and so it's not really, um, you know, for Amos, it wasn't like this great excitement, I don't think, to go tell people that if they don't repent, if they don't turn from what they're doing, that God was going to judge them. And so when you have a not-so-famous message and you're not-so-famous person, you become not-so-famous Amos. But there was this really two statements or two ideas that, uh, that you'll see all throughout this book that, that Dave kind of introduced to us the first week and every week since we've talked about. And that is these two things. First is that if we're going to escape God's wrath... We have to repent. This was the message that Amos gave the nation of Israel. And he said, "Escape! if you're going to escape God's wrath, you need to repent. The second part was, if we're going to reveal God's glory, we must reflect Him. And so when you think about the covenant that God made with the chosen people, the nation of Israel, the covenant was pretty simple. I mean, we could take a long time to dissect it all, but let me just kind of summarize it for you. God chose the people of Israel not because they were some great people he just chose them and he chose them and he said this was his covenant with them I want to bless you if you live in obedience and you follow my commands I'll bless you even more and I will bless you so much that all the other nations all the other countries will see and it will bring they will see the goodness of God and it will bring glory to the name of God so we understand the nation of Israel if they would have just lived in obedience to God God would have blessed them and they would have revealed the glory of God. And yet you know the nation of Israel and you know the history that over and over and over again they did not live in obedience. And over and over again God was calling them to repentance or face the wrath. And so uh, this minor prophet Amos is just another one of a prophets of many prophets that came to the nation of Israel with this message. In chapter 4 we looked at five different times this statement. And I think the statement should bring alarm to us today. The statement five different times as we read in chapter 4 of the calamities that God brought upon the nation of Israel. And always it was to point them to repentance. He was always asking them to come back to him. He was always asking them to repent. And, and so after this calamity, what did God say? Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. The second time in chapter 4, another calamity, and yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Five different times we see this statement, yet you have not returned to me. And at the end of chapter 5, as, as we kind of just give you an overview, and I'm going to get you into chapter 6 where we're going to be at. But at the end of chapter 5, there's several statements. So in ver we're not going to read verses 21 through 24. We're going to get to verse 25 in a minute. But let me just point out a few things that verse 21 and following say. In verse 21, the Lord says, I hate and I despise your assemblies. This is God saying to the nation of Israel through the prophet of Amos, I hate your church services. Does that catch you off guard a little bit? But that's what he says. He goes on in the next verse to say, I will not accept your offerings or your sacrifices. And then he says, I will not even hear your music. The God, the creator of the universe, who's chosen this nation of Israel to be his special chosen people, says to them through the prophet Amos, 
I hate your church services. I'm not going to accept your offerings. And I'm not going to hear your worship. Does that alarm you at all? If, if God would say that to his chosen people, let's think for a moment this morning, is it possible that God could say the same thing to us? Is it possible this morning that as a church, that, and as we walk through this book of Amos, you see really there's three kind of points of application that we could look at this nationally for our country. Uh, again, parallel to the nation of Israel. We could also look at this corporately as a church. But then it also has to go to another level. That is that we must look at this and apply this personally to our own life. Is it possible this morning that as God looks upon this church, is it possible that as God looks upon this nation, is it possible this morning that God looks at your life, that he would say, I hate and I despise what has just taken place? Is it possible this morning that he would say, I do not accept your sacrifice and I'm not even listening to your song? Why would God say that to the nation of Israel? Well, let's, let's look at that in verse number uh, 20, uh, 26. Let's, let's start with verse 25, excuse me. So we're in Amos chapter 5, verse 25, and this is going to set the stage for chapter 6. Verse 25 says, Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? And it's kind of, when you read this, it almost, you kind of want to answer the question, no. But the answer is yes. So God is asking through the prophet Amos to the nation of Israel, did you in fact worship me those 40 years in, in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt? Yes. It does, it, and again, when you read the context and all these I hate, I despise, I will not accept, you, you kind of think the answer should be no, but the answer is yes. But it's not the full answer. Look, look at verse 26. You also carried Sikketh your king and Chin your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Here's what God is saying. This is why God would not accept their worship. Yes, you, you worshipped me in the assemblies during those 40 years. Yet, you also worshipped the gods of your own making. Again, we're speaking to the, Amos is speaking to the nation of Israel, but let's apply that to us today. We just went through what, you know, we now term the worship part of the service, but, you know, all of this should be worship. And we sang these songs of how good God is and how great God is and how much we love God and we ascribe to him worthy praise and worship Well, what's tomorrow going to be like? And so God says here, the nation of Israel has made their own idols. They worship idols of their own making, gods of their own making. And here's the reality. For us as a culture, for us as American citizens, we're, we're not much different than the nation of Israel, that we have created idols of our own making. There's a lot of things that we worship. And God is saying, I will not be second. God does not want worship on Sunday and you do your own thing Monday through Saturday. 
God does not want to hear your praise and you raising your hand on Sunday morning if Monday through Saturday you do your own thing. And that's what he tells the nation of Israel. I'm not going to accept because you're not, your heart is not with me. You see, they show up for church, but the rest of the week, they do their own thing. So again, let's think about this this morning. Here, here's, here's the, man, it got really quiet in here, didn't it? Here, here's, here's what we all have a tendency to do, me included and maybe me especially. We sit in a service like this, and, and, and it's the same thing the nation of Israel did. Remember week one when David talked about uh, Amos shows up on the scene and he starts calling out the sins of all the other nations, all the other people, and you get this understanding that the nation of Israel and Judah, they're like, yes, get them, get them. Their sin is terrible, their sin is terrible, their sin is terrible. And then Amos slowly hits the bullseye and he calls out their own sin and I think probably the reaction that we have right here in the room this morning is the same reaction Amos had. Like, not me. Here's what I have a tendency to do, and I think probably you're like me. When you have a tendency to hear warning or judgment, a message like this this morning, there's always someone in mind that you think needs to hear that. Man, I wish so-and-so was here because they could use this message today. Some of you have already thought it. Is it possible this morning that we are exactly like the nation of Israel? That we think this message is for someone else? And maybe the message is for you. Maybe the message is for me. Okay, let me rephrase that. There's no maybe about it for me. You know, you guys have to sit through this for about 25, 35 minutes today. I've had to sit through this for two weeks. I was supposed to preach this message last week and I was ready to get done with it. And now I had to sit on it for a whole other week. Uh, could you close your eyes for a moment before we go any farther? Because, you know, the rest of this message doesn't really matter if you're not going to listen to it. So here's what I want you to do. Our eyes are closed. I want you to just take a moment. And I want you to, to, to ask God, God, if this is for me, if there's something in here I need to hear today in the next 25 minutes, I'm, I'm open to hear it. I'm open to receive it. And I'm open to respond to it. I'm open to hear it. I'm open to receive it. And I'm open to respond to it. God, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we ask this morning that as we look at the, the story here of Amos calling for repentance that, God, we would repent, that we would respond, that we would hear. Speak to our hearts. Shake us, Lord, today. Call us to repentance. Lord, if there is that hint
of complacency in our lives, that you would draw that us, draw it out of us today. May we respond to the message. Lord, we will give you the glory for what you do here this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Amos chapter 6. Okay, we've kind of set the stage for it. You know, a message is probably not going to be a good message if it starts out with the word woe, right? So Amos, uh, you remember, Amos, you know, if you, if you missed, a, you missed a, some good things in chapter 4 because Amos, he, he, he just, I don't know, I get a sense that he wasn't like this. I mean, he was a farm guy from nowhere and no way, you know, like he started out chapter 4 calling all the women cows of Bashan, Okay. Go back and look at it and explain it. But if, if the preacher starts out the message with woe to you, it's not going to be a fun message, okay? So let's start out. Verse number 1, chapter 6. Woe to, woe to you who are at ease in Zion, right? So Zion is referencing here Judah. Remember, Dave talked about the divided kingdom, Judah and Israel. So Zion is referencing Judah. And trust in Mount Samaria. Now he's referencing Israel. Notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to Calneth and see, and from there go to Hamath, the great. Then go down to Gath and the Philistines. Are you, are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? Here we go again. Woe to you who put, a far, put far off the day of doom, who caused the seat of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory. Stretch out your on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and cast from the midst of the stall, who sing idly the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now go captive as the first of the captives, and those who recline at banquet shall be removed. Verse 8. The Lord God has sworn by himself. The Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of of Jacob. I hate his places, therefore I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Let's skip to verse uh, number 12. Verse number 12, do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into gall and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice over uh, Lodabar, who say, have we not taken Karnaim for ourselves by our own strength? But behold, I will raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts. And they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the valley of the Rabbah. And this message, the title, as you already saw probably in your bulletin, The Curse of Complacency. Now, I'll be really honest with you this morning. A few weeks ago when I started kind of uh, digging into this, I, when I, I guess my limited knowledge of what complacency was, I just, the first thing that came to my mind is being okay with being okay or okay with status quo. And I don't think it's necessarily a wrong definition that I was thinking, but I think it goes much deeper than that. And if you look on your outline this morning, it has like the, you know, 
school definition of it. Let's read it. Self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiency. So it's not just being okay with okay, but it's being okay with okay when you're actually in danger or when you're actually in the wrong. It's not like just being okay, well, life's good. And, you know, uh, if you've seen Lion King, right? Hakuna Matata, no worries, right? It's not, that's not what it's trying to say. It's being okay when there's actually danger in sight. It goes on to say this, a feeling of smug, and, and I never really, just to be honest with you, I never really associate smugness or pride with complacency. But the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. A feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievement. You know what they say, that the number one rule in life is not to fool yourself, and yet you are the easiest person to fool? Isn't that so true? So how as a church, and this is what Amos is wrestling with. Amos has been preaching and preaching and preaching. And, and what does the Lord say? Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord, over and over and over again. How hard is it for Amos to preach to the nation of Israel to make them realize that they are complacent? Is it difficult to make someone who's complacent realize they're complacent? The answer is yes. It is. And that's why this morning when you think about it, that's why I wanted you to take a moment to pray and say, Lord, is there something in here for me today? I'm open to hear it. I'm open to receive it. I'm open to respond to it. Because here's the reality this morning, that I'm convinced, I believe that there are people in this room that are complacent with their relationship to the Lord and have no idea that they are. And you know why I believe that? You know why I'm confident in that? Because if I've wrestled with this the last two weeks, you know what God revealed to me? That you are in fact, no, that I am in fact complacent. That I'm no different than Am the audience that Amos is speaking to. Wrestle with that this morning. Just because you're here on a Sunday morning doesn't mean you're not complacent. The audience that Amos was speaking to, over and over again, he says, yeah, you, you, you do your sacrifices, you worship, but you're complacent. Warning after warning after warning. What's the cause of this complacency? Well, we, we get the answer. We read it in verse number eight. It says, the Lord God has shown by himself, the Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob. Again, Jacob is just an interchangeable word for Israel. I abhor, I hate, I despise, I do not like the pride of Israel. Why has Israel become to a place of complacency? It's because they are prideful. And we don't, we're not going to take time to unpack all this, but if you look in verse 2, they're comparing themselves to other nations. And again, you, if you want to be filled with pride, you can always find someone that's worse than you, right? I mean, I, let's just be honest. You could look around the room and find someone worse than you right now, right? You guys are like scared to even respond to that. I mean, I'm looking at the room. It'd be pretty easy for me to find. No, I'm just kidding. 
They're comparing themselves. Well, we're not like that first nation Amos mentioned. We don't do that. What's the other one right there on your outline? Is because look at verse 13, how, how blinded they were. You who rejoice over Lodabor, who say, I haven't, have we not taken Carnaim for ourselves by our own strength? Do you, do you see the, the pride in that statement? What are they saying? They're saying, look, we're such a great nation that look at all the enemies that we've defeated. Look at all the people that we've destroyed. And we think of that, now again, there's three ways we can look at this. Three ways I think we need to apply this this morning. And that is nationally for our own country. We need to think about this corporately for our own church and then individually, personally for ourselves. And I think about our country currently. Is it possible that our country, the United States of America, is maybe filled with a little bit of pride? That's undeserving. And the nation of Israel talks about their great conquest and who they've destroyed. And we know all along who destroyed the enemies of Israel. Was it Israel or was it the God of Israel? It was the God of Israel. They didn't do it. You know, Alistair Begg, I I, got to read this. As he talks about the pride of America. And if you, if you study world history, you know that every great nation or slash kingdom eventually gets so filled with pride that they self-destruct, Amen. right? I love this statement. He says, the issue for America is not the national debt in terms of trillions of dollars. Okay, I know there's some pushback on that. But you'll understand what he's saying. Listen, the issue of the, the nation's debt is in terms of millions of abortions. Forty-five million. This country, since 1970. Do we have much to be proudful of? He goes on to say the issue of the national debt in the terms of the way we redefined what is a family. Terms of national debt and the divorce rate. Terms of national debt in regard to the moral decay of our society. Do we as a country have any reason to be complacent and prideful about who we are. Not really. Let's think about this for our church. It's, it's easy to, to come into this auditorium and be comfortable. Now I don't mean cold or hot, because some of you are hot and some of you are cold and some of you are fine. But isn't this a beautiful place? It is, and we should be thankful for it. Is it possible, though, as a church that, it, that we could become complacent with what we have and maybe even a little prideful of what we've done? Did, did, did we do this, or did God do this? Let me ask you that again. Did we do this or did God do this? You know, I can remember in, 
1997 when I first moved here. And uh, Shelly, I appreciate Shelly. She spoke for our, our GROW event. But Shelly and Steve, they used to live right over here on Country Creek. And, and a few of us uh, uh, would meet at their house early, you know, 6 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning on Country Creek. And we would run from here, uh, from their house, and we'd run down here, Risinger Road, and we'd turn around at Euland Street, and we'd turn around and go back to their house. It was about three miles or so. And at that time in 1997, you know what was out here? You got it, nothing. And I remember, though, in 1998, as we would make that run back every morning, we would watch the sun come up, and as the sun was coming up, we would watch day after day as the steel in that gym over there would go up. And, and so I'll be honest with you, I mean, I do have a little bit of pride about what God has done here, and, and, and you should be proud of what God did here. And aren't you thankful for what God has done here? But let's be really careful not to steal God's glory for what he has done here. Amen. And that's what the nation of Israel did. They were complacent. And look what we have done. But let's, let's keep going. The cause is, is one word, is pride. The characteristics, the characteristics of complacency here. Let's look real quick in verses 4 through 6. Who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on the couches, eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly the sound, to the sound of stringed instruments, and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls, and anoint yourselves with the best ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph." So here's the thing, it's, it's not wrong, so it's not wrong to have wealth, it's not wrong to have things, it's not wrong to have fun, that's not what Amos is saying. But Amos is pointing out to the fact that they're still playing church, and, and, and on the church days they do the church thing, and on the rest of the days they do their own thing, and they worship the gods of their making, they, wor they worship the idols of their making. Again, our culture is not really much different from theirs. And one of the gods that almost all cultures gravitate towards is this God of pleasure, that I'm going to please myself. Is that evident in our country today, yes or no? Yes, very evident. But let's think then for us church this morning, is that culture of pleasure, which really pleasure is what it's saying, what, what the search of pleasure is, it's all about me is is that is that thinking has that crept in to churches today maybe maybe a better way has that flooded in to churches today? you you have you heard the word consumer christianity like here's the truth if you, if you don't like the way the music is done here, there's tons of churches right around the, sh the corner. And it's created this culture of church is for me and my pleasure. And even this morning, I'm sure someone thought, I don't even like that song. I don't, that song doesn't speak to me. So here's just a newsflash. We weren't singing that song to you. It wasn't, it wasn't really for you, okay? The only thing we have to ask ourselves, and we must ask ourselves every single service, 
every single day, is God pleased with this song? Is God pleased with this fill in the blank? And so Amos is preaching to this church-going people. And he says, you're filled with complacency because of your pride and all you're seeking is pleasure. Again, having fun and doing fun things and, and having wealth is not wrong. Look at, the, look at the verse 6 again, because here's where it turns. So it's not that the wealth is wrong. It's not that, that, that their uh, pleasure is wrong. It, here's, the, here's the catch. Here's the turning point. Verse number 6. Look at the very last statement. But are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. So you have all these pleasures and you pursue fun, and in and of itself that's not wrong, but he's saying as a nation, again, as a church, as an individual, you are pursuing all these things without being grieved over the affliction of Joseph. What does that even mean? Turn to Genesis chapter 37. All right, so I love the fact that Amos here, an Old Testament prophet, is pointing his audience back to the Bible, back to biblical stories, back to the beginning. And, and so as you turn to Genesis chapter 37, I'll give you some quick background in case you're not familiar with this story, because not everybody knows this story. But Joseph is the youngest brother. He has all these older brothers, and they're all jealous of him because Joseph being the baby brother is the favorite of his dad. Okay, how many of you are the favorite sibling in your family? Okay, we've got sisters over here arm wrestling for that. I don't know. How many of you have a sibling in the room right now? Okay, how many of you still say I'm the favorite? All right, we're going to start all kinds of arguments today. So Joseph is the baby. He's the favorite. And the older brothers, it's not like just a little bit of sibling rivalry. They actually hate Joseph. So that's where we pick up the story. Verse number 19, Genesis 37. Then they said to one another, they being the older brothers, Look, Joseph, the dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into the pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood, but cast him in the pit which is in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of the hands and bring back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had, uh, had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors. Again, this was just a sign of how he was the favorite. Then, verse 24, then they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now that doesn't sound like a good scenario, right? So they cast him into this well. There's no water in the well. So that didn't feel good upon landing, did it? And he falls at the bottom of a well. And, and their intent at this point is, we're done with him. If he dies, he dies. And the next verse is what Amos is referring to. You fill yourself with pleasure, you go to church and you play the game, but yet you don't grieve over the affliction of Joseph. And they throw him in the pit. And what does the next verse say in verse 25? They sat down to eat a meal. And it reveals to us 
the callousness of their heart. And this morning, in churches all over the country, we'll hear messages, call to repentance, and we'll walk out, and we'll sit down and have a meal. Let me point to one more scripture. So we're at the very beginning in the Bible. Let's go to the very end. Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation chapter number 3. And John is writing to a church. And John is writing a warning to the church. And we're just going to look at one of them. Verse number 14, John chapter 3. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So God here speaking to the church. Verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then you were, so because you are, what's the word there? What do you think is another word that would be interchangeable with lukewarm? Complacency. And how is God's response to complacency to lukewarm Christians? I will vomit you out of my mouth. You see why the warning is so powerful for Amos to call to us? As a nation, are we complacent? As a church, have we become complacent? But let's, let's look a little more inward. Am I complacent? God says, I would vomit you out of my mouth. And again, we get the same sense here in verse number 17. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And here we get this kind of understanding definition of complacency, don't we? Because complacency is like not really being self-aware. I'm okay when I'm really not okay. And he says you're lukewarm because you say I'm rich, because you're wealthy, and I need him nothing. And, and here's the scary part. You do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And here's, here's the scary part this morning. That as Amos stood before the nation of Israel, and the last verse, verse number 14, is pretty similar to verse number 27 of chapter number six, 5. So go home and look at it. Chapter 5, verse 27. Chapter 6, verse 14. God says, I'm going to destroy you. And you know what happens 40 years after that was written? After 40 years after Amos preaches this? The Assyrians destroy him. So here's the response. It's the same way we started out this morning. If I'm going to escape the wrath of God, I must repent. If I'm really going to fulfill what God has called me to do and reveal the glory of God, I must reflect his son, Jesus. This morning, I'm afraid that many of us 
are lukewarm and complacent because we're rich, we have need of nothing, and yet we don't know. We're desperate. And as those brothers sat there and ate the meal while their brother was dying, what Amos is saying, what Amos would say to us this morning, as we, as we sit here in this place, as we go home and eat, there's thousands and millions of people right across the street that you work with that are just like Joseph. They're in the pit. And we say with our complacency, if they die, they die. That should scare you. Am I complacent? Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to sing an amazing song fitting for this today. Here's what I want you to do this morning. Here's what I don't want you to do this morning. I don't want you to walk out of here this morning without convinced, being convinced that you're not complacent. And if you can't be 100% confident right now that you're not complacent, what I think you need to do right now is get up from where you're at and come down to this altar right now. If you're not convinced that you're not complacent, what I'm asking you to do right now, right now, come and ask God to break your heart. Think of that statement. You do not grieve for the affliction of Joseph. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Amos. Lord, we, conf we confess. Lord, I confess that I oftentimes am complacent. I'm comfortable. I'm okay with being okay. And yet people all around me don't know Jesus. God, as a church, would you break our heart this morning? Would we grieve this morning for those who are far from Jesus? Would we walk out of here this morning with a new passion?
a new desire, a new fire under us, Lord, to spread and to teach the gospel. Lord, may people be more important than our preferences. Lord, we want to close this service this morning as we repent, as we confess. We also want to worship. Knowing, Lord, that everything that we do, whatever sacrifices that we may or may not give up for you, Lord, when we see your face, it'll all be worth it. The band's going to lead us in worship this morning. You, you can stay seated. If you want to stand and sing with them, I, I think probably it's a new song and some of you don't know it. And maybe it's best if you, whatever, however you want to respond, if you want to sit and just listen and reflect and worship, if you want to stand and worship with them through singing, we're going to be down here at the front for a few minutes. We're going to be standing facing you. If, if you want to pray with someone, we'd be glad to pray with you. If maybe we stand in a moment and all of a sudden God really gets, gets a hold of your heart and you just want to come pray, that, that's fine. The altar is open. But let's just worship this morning with this group.